If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a guy who works in sports talks to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And welcome back. Welcome back to a series of of shows where we have delved deep into the passion of the sports community. Everything from Star Wars to Alexi Lalas talking his 104th studio album to Grey's Anatomy fan fiction. Guys, people, I'm out here doing the work. I am delivering the array of topics for you, and today is no different because we are talking to Yahoo Sports baseball reporter, broadcaster, bandwagoner, Hannah Kaiser. You remember Hannah from a a bevy of places that she's contributed to over the years. Most recently, she's on Yahoo breaking down the baseball season and we're getting to the end of it, man. Look, I'm a Cubs fan. I'm in a restful place about baseball. Those of you who aren't, well, guess what? We're going to take a break from all that and talk to Hannah about Sex in the City. So I came into this discussion with Hannah, aware of the show, aware of the beats, having watched the show live. And it was a lot of fun kind of going back, revisiting, breaking down the major points, best characters, best moments, funniest one-liners, Funniest Samantha-isms. But it was also kind of fun just being able to pump the brakes a little bit and say, hey, look, with the benefit of hindsight, what did this show really mean for pop culture? But also, what did it do right? What did it do wrong? What did it do really wrong? <laughs> and It's fair for us to have that sort of moment where we can reflect on the series as a whole and ask some tough questions. Like, for example... All of the revisionist Carrie Bradshaw was a horrible person. Okay, probably fair. But at a time when we watch, you know, Walter White and Don Draper and all these other bad people do bad stuff, like, why does the woman leading an all women show need to um, be perfect? Uh, so we break that down and we talk about everything from the more serious aspects of the show and its legacy to. Again, just some fun moments. If you're a fan of the series, stick around. If you are not a fan of the series, I think you'll enjoy Hannah's perspectives on it. And and, and come on, who doesn't want to hear some Samantha-isms run back out for posterity's sake? So stick around. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Hannah. And then afterwards, I will be back to distract you. All right, full disclosure, I was not going to ask this question. I was like defiantly not going to ask this question. And then my wife's like, it's the only question you have to ask. Is this which of the characters yeah, yeah, you okay. so I, like, I was like, <laughs> but I'm only going to ask this as sort of a meta commentary to get into a follow-up. But I, but I, 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 I just, I think legally obligated, I have to ask. Yeah, you are. 
Are you a Carrie, a Samantha, a Miranda, or a Charlotte? How many times have you been asked this question in your life, and wh- how do you respond? So I don't think I've ever been asked this question. I um, we sh- I thought that we were going to talk about this at the very end, but I'm going to bring it up right at the start, which is that there's a great Instagram account, which maybe you know if you've done any research on Sex and the City, called Every Outfit on Sex and the City. <laughs> and it's like, and it's fantastic, and I'll, I'll want to talk about it at the end, but, but they have like a, um, they they partnered with Cynthia Nixon for her campaign and they put out shirts that were like, everyone should be a Miranda because it's like the objectively correct answer is Miranda. Like she's the only one who's not like a total boy, crazy ditz or whatever. Um, But I think that the show is, and we'll, we'll get into this, but I think the show is written such that Carrie embodies like many women who live in New York, sort of like worst tendencies and that, you that you are wrong if you don't say you are a carry like I, I think that like for a while there everyone was like oh, of course i'm a carry and then there was like a backlash to that and there's a sense of like oh no that's like the worst thing to be you should should want to be a miranda who wears sensible shoes um <laughs> but the truth is like it is a very well-written show and it is impossible to not feel like the way that carrie bradshaw fights with her boyfriends is the way that you would fight with your boyfriend <laughs> plus i don't know i'm a i'm a, I'm a writer who lives in new york and so Yes, Carrie. But Miranda. I'm a Miranda. I want to be Miranda. Well, it was it was the sort of as essential question of the age for um, you know w- women of our generation, and it, it is laughable now in hindsight because that question just highlights its the, the inherent flaws within the show's design, the lack of diversity. You know, we're talking about right. essentially the same type of archetype that is just carved up in a a very sort of narrow way. As you look back on it, what do you think? What do you think the legacy of the show is now, in hindsight, for what it said about um, you know women of the time and how it drove the conversation forward to where we are now? When the show is underrated or underappreciated, I think it's because people don't realize how smart. I think we have a tendency to believe that everything is always getting better and we're always getting smarter and cults for now must mm-hmm. be more nuanced and, and sort of more perceptive than it was and prior. And so I think people have a tendency to think that Sex and the City is a show about the way people were at the time and that everyone and that like this was the aspirational model and like, oh, but how could you ever like live in that apartment and wear those wear those clothes on that salary or whatever it is? And I think what I like most about the show is trying to think of it as like, what if in fact this was incredibly savvy and that you're that it is it is doing the anti-hero thing mm-hmm. with girly girls that it's sort of saying like it's right. very mean girls ask. It's a little bit like, Oh, people who are really annoying in the way that they are thin and white and popular. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I, I bristle a little bit at the, I guess we're actually kind of coming out of it now. And I think we're maybe the thing that I bristle at was like the sort of mid aughts, like, Oh, we should have female antiheroes. So first we had like dark male antiheroes and everyone was really into that. And then it was like, Oh, we should, we should do female antiheroes. And the female antiheroes tended to be like very serious women who like were so career focused that they didn't have time for a boyfriend and they wore a black leather motorcycle jacket or whatever. And I think that like, the implication that like women could only be anti-heroes in the same way that we imagine men as anti-heroes and that like women who were anti-heroes were, I'm, I'm talking myself into a circle, but that like, I bristle at this idea that like 
oh, isn't it terrible how she doesn't want to get married? She's only focused on her career. And like that version of a female antihero was in fact like very judgmental of this idea that like women who are interested in relationships or interested in clothes and fashion and interested in like girly friend topics that like they weren't even worth considering as as heroes or anti-heroes. And I think that like Sex and the City does a really good job of being like, I view the whole show as like a sort of like an interesting progressive statement to say like, what if we made an entire show about women and how like they're just obsessed with like the men in their lives and we didn't attempt to inject this with any sort of like cool girl they're too busy for <laughs> boyfriend Yes. Yeah, and, and there's a cottage industry that sprung up that is very much, you know, Carrie Bradshaw is a horrible person in truth, and here's all these clips that just show how selfish she is and stuff. But I've always been a little uncomfortable with that. And to your point, we allow Don Draper, Walter White, David Brent, like all these male characters to be complicated, and we say, well, that's the point of it. And yet, right. we, we it, to me at least, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so if, if you feel differently, let me know. I feel like the conversation has to be too binary with these characters. You're either in on them or you're out on them. So how do you wrestle with this revisionist look that we've been doing toward these characters? And do you feel like the pendulum swung a little far for how dismissive some voices have been over the flaws that are w within each of the personalities? Well, this is, I know we're not supposed to talk about sports, but this is something that <laughs> it's okay. like, you can make analogies as it pertains to like the, the uh, our other topic. Well, I, oh, I, I think it's something that like, I've always, I've always thought about like, do I like, uh, this is a weird thing to say. It's going to be a podcast, but like, do, <laughs> do people like that? I do this like traditionally male dominated thing. And does that buy me some street cred? And in buying that street cred, am I then more comfortable with like slightly more feminine aspects of my personality? And like, if I, you know what I mean? Like I think, yeah. and so I think that the, that I like, and that's, and I, I felt that dichotomy around picking a topic <laughs> for the podcast <laughs> where my, my husband was like, you must be the only sports writer who's ever wanted to talk about sex in the city. And I was like, why though? Like, why, yeah. <laughs> why is it that we seem to think that like, that like masculine and feminine traits are like a whole slate, which is, which is to say that like, right. I think, I think I try to watch sex in the city and I try to view Terry sympathetically because I think our culture is so harsh on women who skew so girly and so feminine. And I think that there's a tendency to think that like those annoying traits are somehow more annoying than more masculine annoying traits, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I find Carrie totally annoying. And then other times I think like what we're criticizing in her is just that like she likes like, like, would we, if she were a sports writer who was the same way in her relationships, would that sports writer-ness buy her some leeway in our estimation of how she treats Aiden or whatever? I don't know. I, I also think some of it's just like clickbait, like, hey, this is a great way to rile up fans of the show and whatever else. But I do, I do wonder if it was, you know, would we have all of this kind of um, revisionist uh, drama about other shows? Because it doesn't seem like we do this with... Um, with some of those other characters. Now, to your point, we, we came in pretty hot. I do want this to also be fun and lighthearted. <laughs> so let me let me just jump into, how did you first get exposed to the show? Is it something that you found uh, like on DVD later? Were you, wa were you of the age where you could watch it live at the time? What was your, your entree into it? So I was not almost, I was, I was eight when the season premiered. I definitely did not, or seriously, I definitely didn't watch it in real time. Um, I think 
that I have an older sister and I think that probably she and I, she and I are very, very close. Um, and I think probably when we were like both in high school, we, we had like a TV in our, in our, we had like the third floor of our house at home to, to ourselves. And we had our own TV finally when we were in high school. And I think probably we found it then. Um, and the way that I experienced it is like very much in watching it with her and rewatching it with her and referencing episodes to her. Um, and like, and I think, so I think, I think I must've started watching it like a little behind when it aired. I probably watched it. I'm like looking at the dates now. Um, let's see it. it it ended in 2004. I would have been mm-hmm. 14. So I probably watched it like all in syndication, but like in high school. Um, and then, and then, so that would have been like right after it aired and then um, have rewatched it a bazillion times. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. So that's, that's how I, I came to it. Like after it had all aired. Um, and now I like, I think I probably watched it skipping around at first. And then like once I was out on, on my own as an adult, and like had access to HBO Go, finally like started watching it all the way through, um, and was like, "Wow, it is very different. It is the show that is the most different. <laughs> like if you if yeah. you watch it, if you go from season six to season one, you're like, this is a completely different show." <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Not just even from you know just the tone of the characters and the and the fashion, but like the the, in, the sort of inner cut. Man on the Street, HBO, real sex style stuff from season one that they ultimately abandoned gives it an entirely different feel. What is your favorite stretch of the show? Um, and you and, and you don't necessarily have to answer that as oh season one, two, three, four. Like because I I do think there are within each season there are certain you know multi episode storylines that that stand out. And it was also at the front end of that HBO. Um, wave of you know, carving, kind of carving up the seasons a little bit. Where I think even the final one was like kind of a front half and back half. I could yeah, be wrong yeah. on that. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a six season. Six is a part A and a, and a part B. Um, it's it's also I think within the seasons. Um, I was thinking about it because I was rewatching some episodes and like structurally, it's so interesting how it balances like HBO drama of like long term plots with like almost sort of procedural like the 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 early seasons are much more procedural right. in the way that it's like every episode is a date and a new guy and like a little bit about this guy and a little bit about that like particular dating problem. And then they kind of like dropped that and went multi-season arcs, which is also just like a, like a fascinating pivot for a show to make while it's on to go from this like sitcom uh procedural, like, right. Like every episode is a new dating problem to being like, Oh, we're going to take these lives seriously. But to your question, so I know that you are anti-Aiden, but as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> four is like almost objectively the best. So season four is when she gets back with Aiden. So she's already broken up with right. him because of the affair with Big in season three. And then season four is when they get back together. And season four is when they get engaged and they move in together. And then she calls off the engagement. And I just think that's the season in which they shifted to taking these characters more seriously i think to me at least like to me that 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 plot line because it was a little bit when she was you know i mean aiden was a serious boyfriend and, and he's one of like the pantheon boyfriends of like that that mark the show but i think that like when they get back together and they get engaged and and like the calling off the engagement 
And I just think that like the best episodes are in there. I think uh, the fight that they have in the bathroom when they're sharing her apartment. <laughs> the speed sticks. My wife brought up. She, my wife like, confessed today that she sent pictures of my deodorant to her friends being like, I married Aiden. This guy has like five old spices <laughs> lying around the same bathroom. And I'm like, damn, I, ne- I had no idea. <laughs> And she's going through his stuff, his stuff, and he's like six feet six. She's like, and you got your your Rogaine. It's like, oh, are you are you losing? And he's like, it's preventative. Yeah, right. It marks a shift from like men are crazy. Like the first two seasons, everyone they did like their fatal flaw is like some actually terrible thing, um, and then she dates. And she gets back together with Aiden, and he proposes, and it's it's this idea of like, oh, some people are lovely, and they're just not right for you. Right. And I agree with you. I do think that's the best stretch of the show. That's where the side characters went from walking sort of bits to Charlotte having a much more, you know, her marriage was very complex. And I think even tackling the sexual dynamic in ways that were really new on on television. And even I can't remember when Richard happened for Samantha, but that was like a a question. Yeah. Yeah. Was that season two or was that was that into season three? I think it's season three. Um, but it's also when, so the best episode in season four is the, my mother bored myself in the, in the same episode in which Carrie's laptop crashes, Miranda's mother dies. It's like a weird meta commentary on the show. And then kind of like realizes that it's not like, she's like very upset about her laptop. And then Miranda calls and, and then they go to the funeral and the, the great, the, the bronze-fitting lady who hugs Miranda. <laughs> it's like right. a great, I just think that that's such a good episode about like, oh, these other characters have like full interior lives with like families and stuff. And it's actually the only mention I think of like someone's parent in the entire show is when Miranda's mother dies. Yeah. Like, you, don't ever, you don't ever hear about like Carrie's parents or anything. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I, I have never thought about that before. Or even I was trying to think, like, did Samantha or any... like I mean, you, Charlotte, you have the in-law stuff with... Um, right, with Bunny. <laughs> right. It's kind of tricky territory to only define the characters through the boyfriends. But from a Carrie perspective, I kind of wanted to lean into you know your, uh, your bandwagon brand and just sort of which boyfriend let's make the let's make the case uh, for or against like sort of who's at the top of your power rankings and who'd be at the bottom of her main love interest oh that's great okay well definitely the bottom is burger the other writer the russian the russian smacks her and makes her miss that he makes her miss that dinner which i still think is like heartbreaking like just oh yeah and she goes and and they've all gone yeah and they leave the book they're just like not just oh they were disappointed but there was like fuck this lady we are out but also so here's my case of the russian he doesn't really it was an accident that he hit her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh man, this is going to be your case. It's not like, hey, he was, you know, he he, he brought out a different side of her. It's like, well, he, I mean, yeah, he hit her, but like, no, come here's on. the thing with the Russian. <laughs> I mean, this is definitely a terrible take, um, but I like find his neediness actually a little bit. So both he and Berger, their problem is how insecure and needy they are. Right. And I find the Russians' neediness slightly more charming, if that makes sense. I think that that plot line is such a good plot line. The sort of like, you could go to Paris and be unhappy because I, I, I don't know. I think I must have watched that season while I was like studying abroad. And I was like, oh, it's totally true that like kind of sucks to be doing this fantastic thing. And the like the music in that episode is great. And she's like walking around and she like steps in the dog shit and has to like rinse off her shoes. It's just such a great like sometimes it sucks to be in a glam- glamorous place. Right. Um, montage. But I think Burger is worse than the Russian because the Russian is very upfront. Like he's very like, this is my life and I like it. And like mm-hmm. she 
she does like make the mistake of signing up for that. And it's like, that's one where it's a little bit like, Oh, he was not right for her. And she should have seen that. Like she wanted something. And I think even right, like the great speech that she gives, where she's like, this isn't your fault. This is my fault. I want like a version of love. That's not here. I think with burger, like, he doesn't know who he is yet. And that level of insecurity, like he's totally a guy that like you do date, like that guy who like is funny and witty, but like is like a terrible partner to you because they are competitive with you. Like that guy is, he's more of like problematic. So that's, that's where the, like, I know I shouldn't say the Russian didn't mean to hit or nothing bad thing to say about abuse. No, no, I, we're not taking I, you literally on that. I think that the Russian will be totally fine for someone else. Burger, I'm like, nobody should date him because he's just got to figure out his own shit before he's... So, okay. I'm doing Burger last. Uh, are we only doing Burger, the Russian, Aiden, and Big? I think I think those are the core four. Yeah. Okay. I like Aiden. I know you don't like Aiden. He's okay. I just don't like them. I, I find her so much more grating with Aiden yeah, I shouldn't be so hard on Aiden. It was fine. I guess, I guess when I look back on it, I go, it just it just ne- I never bought them making it work. And the second season, I, I felt like the inf- I was more intrigued by the infidelity. And after that, I felt like the they never really tried to make you think it was going to work. See, I have a hard time with this because I feel like my <laughs> my relationship is very much like a like a Carrie and an Aiden. <laughs> oh, um, well, in I, that case, no, I'm a huge fan. That's like my number one bandwagon. Let's go. Um, I have like a very, yeah, no, I'm like a very, like a very loud out there person. And my husband is like a very like man's man who would love to have a cabin in the woods. Um, <laughs> I think here's my problem with Big. I don't think they ever gave Big a personality. Like if That's you right. watch some of the episodes where they're friends, there's like that weird period where they're friends. Like, it's whatever. It's fine. Spoiler, they end up together. And like, of course they do. Of course they do. And and that was my problem was never like, oh, she ended up with this guy who was terrible to her, even though he was. My problem was that, like, who is he? Like, I don't feel like we have a good they never gave him like they gave him all of these grand romantic gestures that didn't really feel in keeping with, like, the guy who she liked. It felt like they sort of they they allowed him to be too good the guy who's super unavailable is never suddenly very available. That's not like a personality shift that happens. To me, the, they had the perfect parting, which was like the Streisand parallel. And she's, you know, she kind of gives him that kiss goodbye, or whatever. And uh, is she quoting Funny Girl, maybe, or whatever? Yes, and when she's your girl is, um, your girl is lovely, Hubble. Hubble. Oh my God. Hubble. It is. It is so Hubble. I always, always, always cry at the last scene of that movie when she sees him in front of the hotel with his new wife. The simple girl. And she reaches up and and smooths his hair away. And she says to him, your girl is lovely, Hubble. And then I think she's really saying, I'm what you always wanted. Someone who is charismatic and interesting and who, who could bring out more in you. And you are choosing the wrong path, and now you know it, goodbye forever. If they had closed that door right then, I thought it would have been... That's such a good point. Totally poetic. And then when they bring him back, it's just like, he's just there to eventually be the guy she changed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Although, that scene... I will say that I think Sarah Jessica Parker is such a good actress in in the show that like there are scenes that are almost like chilling. Like the scene where she's about to move to Paris... And he comes to, and he's waiting outside. And that, first of all, that would never happen. Nobody does that. Nobody waits for you outside your apartment, like ever. <laughs> In the cell phone um, era, too. I mean, it wasn't like seventy-five, you know, like right. But she still has that great 
speech where she's like, you can walk up and down the street all you want. I don't live here anymore. And then she says, forget you know my number. In fact, forget you know my name. She like leaves. Um, but like, I, I think that my frustration with Big is that like, he would leave that. Like she says, good. She, it's right. Like you're to your point. Like there are many great moments in which she like, she gets the moment to sort of tell him this is the end, and like, then let it be the end. Like why did they? Yeah, like that. The the best moments are always when she's telling him goodbye, and yet, for some reason, the writers decided that we wanted them to end up together. And I was like, but it's so good <laughs> when she says goodbye to him. Yeah, I agree. I think that, and and. You know, but, you know, the, the infidelity stuff between them is very fascinating. The, the way they, you know, when she has the confrontation with his wife and she's like, you ruined my life and my and my my brunch. Oh, or and whatever. my lunch. Yes. Yeah. Where she like stalks Natasha to like apologize to her. Uh, and then Natasha totally owns that. scene. See, that's one of those scenes to me that I think is the thing that I like about Sex in the City, which is that oftentimes they will do this. I'm trying to think of another example while I'm talking, but they will do this flip, which is like they present it from the main character's perspective over and over again. We're seeing the narrative from her perspective and she just wants to apologize from Natasha and, and Natasha's this like, you know, tall, boring model. And then like when she finally does that scene is like all about how like Natasha handles it so much better than she does and like has so much more poise and like gets the fantastic biting line about like, you've not only ruined my marriage, now you've ruined my lunch. Right. And like, I think the show does that really well, which is, and maybe I'm overstating it and people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, she's like deeply obsessed with that show and it has its problems. But I think it does a really good job of making you realize how you too are sometimes in the wrong by trying, and maybe other people don't get, don't fall for it and they don't think that Carrie's ever the sympathetic character. But for me, it really works to sort of see like, Oh yeah, like everything is from your perspective and you could totally see how you're in the right and then there'll be like a scene that flips it and you're like, "Oh no, you're being unreasonable here." <laughs> like Yeah, she's utterly just... selfish seeking a closure that the other party, the wronged party didn't want. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I I I, I totally agree. So, they do leaves... a good job of like doing a it's like basically an entire show and I don't even mean an anti-hero in like they're so dark way, but like it's in some ways an entire show from like the villain's point of view, which is like Oh, they want this thing very badly, but like that's an incredibly unempathetic thing to want. Like it is bad for the other person that you want that. Right. No, totally. So, uh, so th- those are your that's your bandwagon for the the main boyfriends. What about like the the si- the side pieces, if you will? We've had some crazy big guest star- stars, some pretty wild like you know Seinfeldian kind of character archetypes. Right. What 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 would you say are like the ones that stand out to you of her flings that that you thought were either hilarious or or just you know noteworthy? I like can't even watch the episodes where she dates the jazz player. He's so yeah. bad. <laughs> he's so bad. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think. I mean, it's like the Matthew McConaughey uh, bit where like he he's like a. And then she. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, okay. So what about the other characters? Do you who is your favorite boyfriend of the other three we've talked a ton about carrie okay this is uh this is tricky um from an entertainment perspective i I, well okay the real answer comes down to are you steve or are Are you you harry Yeah. and i would go well i'd have to go harry because like steve's i think his infidelity is unforgivable well i want to come back to that later when i ask you about the about the character choices but I, I think from an entertainment perspective, the standout 
character of the other kind of boyfriends is um, Kyle MacLachlan's character is just so zany and bizarre. And the idea that like here, like here's this crazy Mr. Perfect for Charlotte. And the minute she gets in his bizarro old money world, it's just like out of a, like a, a Lynch movie. <laughs> I, and he's I, like, and it, they, I, lo- I love that they give him the catchphrase already. Where he's just like, <laughs> yeah. he's like pleasant and dull. And like, if you were anyone other than Charlotte, that would drive you insane. And he, you know, and, and the idea that like she waits for him because he's Mr. Perfect, but he's impotent. And then, right. but he's not impotent. Like, I do think the, 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 the scene that always stands out for me is when she like puts stamps or something on him overnight his- and he, he gets an <laughs> erection. And she, but that moment when she's like, oh my God, it's something with me. Th- that was like a, for as fake as that whole thing felt, like their emotional pull was always very grounded. Sexual frustration and confusion, inability to communicate, and uh, ultimately uh, infertility was very grounded in the real world, which I think was a nice counterbalance to just how outlandish he was and his whole like, you know, mother-in-law storyline was. The That's always the thing is that like, the, it's like very, very silly. I mean, Charlotte is such a, Charlotte is the character who's probably like, what, the hardest to watch yeah and like a rewatch you're like oh it's like nothing and that's the thing it's like she's the hardest to watch and she feels so unreasonable and like so not like a person you would know but then right the 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 infertility is like truly heartbreaking to watch and the scene i mean she's already with harry at this point where she loses the baby they get pregnant she loses the baby and and she's on the couch watching e true hollywood stories (laughs) while (laughs) miranda celebrates brady's first birthday and like that is like a really good it's they do a right, they do a good job. I mean, that's the thing that's in some ways like the thing that I think this show has done that no other show has done is that it doesn't really it's really tough to tell if they know whether or not it's a serious show or not. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's like a really good thing that like they managed to carry through all of it is like how much of this is absurd. And it's true on like a very small scale, like some of the dialogue is like some of the dialogue is clearly absurd. Like people quote how absurd the dialogue is all the time, but some of the dialogue is so brilliantly scripted and like the fights between the friends feel like genuine and, and they, they fight in a way that feels very real. And like, um, and it is like very strange how well they managed to make a show feel consistent that like both has those like incredibly forced, awkward transitions and like Samantha making innuendos at every turn and then also like very quotable meaningful lines right and the other two like you know vince vaughn as like carrie fisher's assistant who seduces her <laughs> while he's house sitting is really great I, I, great fav- carrie fisher cameo oh my gosh and my favorite i think is oliphant as the 20 something dude who is super seductive at night and then she wakes up in the loft and he's like using the toilet paper to make the coffee and he's like talking about this wild dream i always thought that was a really clever spin on on a character that's such yeah there's so many it's if you watch it now it has so many insane cameos tony hale is in it as the the photographer's assistant who takes samantha's nude photo (laughs) right right it's like a very weird cameos well, I okay. I forgot Samantha's. Um, I don't think you can count Richard. I'll, I'll be get back to Richard in a second. But oh, the, the uh, young guy. Um, the uh, the uh, Smith, Smith, Smith right? And he's probably number one because he's like the best looking. And he they made him into this angelic, um, too good to be true type of character. But w- which of those three stands out to you as the best? Okay, 
I am very partial to Steve. I like Steve a lot. I think he's, I, I, I actually, okay, we'll get back to it. His infidelity tracks for me, but I love Steve. Well, let, well here, we'll get into it now. Cause I have an essential question about, we've already talked about Carrie. Cause I was going to ask, you know, can it work with Aiden? Um, we talked quite a bit about that. So I have an essential, one essential question about each of the, the other characters and the one for, um, Miranda was going to be, would you have, would, would you have forgiven Steve? C- Steve for cheating on her in what I believe was the, the, the movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think, you, yes. I think they, I think that they earned that. We talk about like, I, a, a weird problem I have with shows like uh game of thrones to go way out there is that i feel like they don't ever earn the like big reveals right. and i'm always like yeah okay something mm-hmm. insane happens every episode i actually feel like it steve cheating on miranda and then also miranda forgiving him is one of the most earned plot lines in like television (laughs) because they are they are the first couple to sort of they're the first pairing that like settles down they're they're together for a really long time they like have a kid it's like all this stuff and then you check in and the movies are like many years later and it's like okay many years later they're still doing the same thing she's still working all the time and like and yeah like i think i think they did a good job with like they did a good job with like he was more into her at first, but like, that's obviously not how every, how like relationships stay. Like you can't, you don't ever get to just be like, Oh yeah. Over like a 20 year marriage, he was always more into me. <laughs> like, that's a terrible, that would be much more unrealistic to me than this idea of like, okay, they got very happy. They forgot about like how he pursued her so hard at first. And then she got a little complacent and he got a little bored. Like that to me feels almost more believable than the, like their dynamic when they first met would sort of carry them through. That's a fair point. Cause she did have that power over him for most of the series other than like, right. the like stretch. I like that they were sort of like, Hey, that doesn't always hold up. Like you don't get yeah. to sort of feel better than your spouse for like the rest of your life. So how about this with Samantha? This is my question for you. Given the fact that the way things ended with Smith, that here you know, as a as a high powered publicist, she kind of she creates this career for him. He's gorgeous. I mean, dude is like, I still remember watching live when he he cut his hair, and like two women that we were always watching with were like my girlfriend's friends were like, oh holy shit, he's he's gonna look even better somehow. And then like he comes he on screen, and you're like, oh fuck this guy. Puts the glasses, sunglasses on at the movie premiere. Oh, uh, and he's and he and he's just like so like emotionally into her. Yeah. So, but given that she she couldn't get satisfied with him and ultimately was wanting to keep exploring her own, you know, sexual needs outside of the, of the relationship. Does that mean she could have made it work in an open relationship with Richard? That's a great question. Like you are like, should she have just like, right. Been with Richard and like, probably. Yeah. Or if they had been later, if she, if the timing had been flipped and Smith was the early one and he was Mm. the later one, do you think that maybe she would have been like, okay, we're just too, we have two people with a huge sexual appetite, but we want to be together. Would it have been a different story? That's a good question. Probably. Yeah. I think that like, I think that they, the show is good at like, right. Probably. Yeah. Probably she should do with Richard. That like makes a ton of sense. And then like maybe the timing didn't work out, but yeah, I think, right. I think you've got it. I think if they had flipped the timing, she would have been with Richard, but it's like totally fine. That she ends up sad. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, okay, here's the big question for Charlotte. What do you do with that white couch after Harry puts his naked ass on it? <laughs> That's I. What is that? Why does he walk around naked? Oh, I don't know. That's not a thing, is it? Do people walk around naked? Uh, no, um, I, I mean, I no. <laughs> and the, 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 it is wild the the level to which the show will go for puns, and like oh, I yeah. don't just mean like how far they will reach for puns. I mean, like how dirty of puns they will like where she comes in, just the great moment where she sits down at the lunch and she says, we have a tea bag problem. And Samantha <laughs> says, breathe through your nose. hundred yeah, percent. I, I was just going to say like that. That's an epic. Why I think for a while there was like peak Samantha, like in the middle where she was really dirty and then yeah. they kind of scaled that back down. And by the end it was more like, paper covers rock and like all that stuff that was w- w- clever right. and within the signature of the show, but was not so boundary pushing and sort of raunchy. Yeah. But like the, the level of raunchiness that they reached at some point, I'm just like, wow. And it's like, it's the sort of like breathe through your nose, which was like, you just, it was like raunchy. But if you were under 17, maybe you just like, it just, you didn't get it at all. Like it just went completely, you had no idea what <laughs> well, the, like it, the, there's a weird moment. The other essential question for Charlotte is, she cops to doing sort of like ass play stuff with her yes, husband. I just watched that episode. There's this scene where there's so it's such a, it's like a very funny scene. Um, it's in season four. I just watched it. All of my references are season four. So I just watched it. <laughs> but, uh, but Miranda's dating marathon man. And he, and she, she says, um, he kind of licked my butt. I was interested. Did he live up to his nickname? Yeah, it was good. Except he kind of, Licked my butt. Be specific. You mean the cheeks or... It was more localized than that. Oh. Wait a minute. Are we are we talking tuchus lingus? I'm afraid so. Well, Trey likes to do it. We're married. All right, so here, you give me a lot of time. Let me, let me end with some speed round stuff here. Best opening credit sequence of any TV show ever? Ooh, I mean the music, yes most iconic music for an opening credit sequence. I think it's, it's, I mean, you can argue Sopranos, you can argue um, Simpsons, you can argue Friends, but I, it's got to be up there. And wh- yeah. do you have an interpretation of the tutu? <sighs> Great question. I don't know that I have an interpretation of the tutu. I it's weird that that is like a that is a scene from an actual episode. I think like in season one. Um, I mean, it's maybe okay. I'm gonna make this up on the spot. It's about the girliness, right? Like it's about that. It's hmm. like it's like an unapologetically feminine show in a way that is like super fun. I don't know. I like that. I like that. It's like I like that. It's a little bit of like a foreshadowing in a way, or or at least like a symbolizing of the fact that like oh yeah, this main character is like very into like traditionally feminine interests. Yeah. And it's not something I don't, I know was all that purposeful other than maybe just aesthetically. They, they thought it matched sort of at the time she had that really signature, the big hair, SPJ hair, you know, or SJP hair. Um, so let me ask you this, Carrie, good dresser, bad dresser. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I also am like a, like a little bit of a, an eccentric dresser. Um, I love it. I think, I think she has some real misses. Uh, she has that two piece, 
with the belt that goes across her bare stomach. That's the same print when she and Miranda are walking around and they go on and try on wedding dresses when she's like right. engaged to Aiden. That's a bad look. She has some, but I mean, the the show is about these four women, but it's mostly about Sarah Jessica Parker's abs and like yeah. just the, the, the sartorial freedom her level of like abs gives she has insane abs. Right. I, I mean and and she was and she adopts so many different looks season to season. It is kind yeah. of an interesting time capsule as it goes on. Uh so Carrie as a writer, uh living in New York Carrie, the writer, how, how would you grade her? I mean, it's not like you can sit down and read her columns, but you get a right. sense for her style. Like, good. I mean, wh- where do you rank her in terms of quality, voice, that kind of stuff? Well, I think she probably should work a little more. <laughs> <laughs> right. She what? She writes like one one column a week. Um, I I think what's funny is that they only. What's funny is that they occasionally talk about how people in her life would react to her reading her columns or writing her columns about things that are happening. But I feel like they don't do that enough. Is that that's not really an answer? I think her columns are bad. I think that I'm surprised that there isn't. I'm surprised there aren't more plot lines that are people being like. Wait, what? You think what about our relationship? <laughs> <laughs> right. How about it's only a... when she dates the politician that it comes up. Right. Okay. So, how about on a scale of uh, real life to the Friends uh, set? How would you rate how realistic her New York City apartment is? So they explain it at one point. They explain it's rent how... control, right? That yeah. Well, not only that, but they explain how much money she has, and there's the great um, where she's like. She has four hundred dollars shoes and a hundred dollars a pop, and Carrie and Smith or Miranda goes, "There's your down payment," and she goes, "That's only four thousand dollars," and it says, "That's forty thousand dollars." <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, going to be the old, literally the old lady who lived in her shoes. Yes, oh, um, the show is the show is eminently quotable. Um, oh, so I totally. think I here's what I I like. This is the most embarrassing thing about me. Uh, I, more embarrassing than how much I like this show, which. We should say, for the record, is hugely problematic. I just watched the episode where they, they, where Samantha talks about transsexuals and like, yeah, it's really bad. Um, but I love the show, and even more embarrassing than that is the fact that I like aspire to have a closet that you walk through to get to your bathroom. Like somehow that's the thing that I've like <laughs> internalized from the show is that like I really just want a closet that you walk through to get to your bathroom that has a second door. So that way I can have a fight with my boyfriend about his speed stick and his Rogaine's. And then I can say, this is why I need a second door. <laughs> okay, one, one or two more. How about, would you keep, or would you have kept the pear-shaped diamond with the gold band? Okay, I have a pear-shaped diamond with okay, the rose Okay, there you go. Band. You answered it. Perfect. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's very tough for me to watch. I'm like, oh no, is my ring tacky? Um, I would have... No, you can't keep it. You can't keep it, right? I think you can't keep it because this is not like a blanket rule about engagements. But Carrie, I'm forgetting. Does she keep it? Oh no, no I just meant. I just meant that. like that. That style made her physically vomit. So oh, I just didn't know. I would you? you meant, would like, you be okay with up. it? No, no, oh, no. Like I would be okay with the style. Yes, when they break up and then she gives it back, and she should have because she knew that she never wanted to marry him in the first place. So she should never have accepted it. So how about this? Carrie and Big at their wedding in the movie. Yes. Are you t- this is a two-parter to close out here. Do you think she could have salvaged the ceremony 
if she had just spoken to him for 30 seconds as she was leaving yes! in the street. Right? Thank <laughs> you. I, I have thought about this for like literally years. Like I'm like, no one throws away a marriage over like not being like, the, you know what I mean? Like you, you talk to the person. You talk to them. He's he's running at her, being like, "I'm sorry," but he's about to. I mean, he's not just like sad sack. She can't read him. And then the thing I don't understand: Do you feel like it was a real undercutting of her character when she's like, "You know what, Big? You're right. It's unrealistic for me to have the wedding I wanted. I'll get married in a courthouse because that's what you want, baby." Like that yes. to me felt like a total supplication of who she was. Thank you. Oh my God. You, you said exactly. Not only that, <laughs> okay, but specifically, specifically, the when she shows them the dress and it's like a not, and they say, "Who's it by?" And she says, "Oh, no one." It's like no label. I just found it. That's not her character. Like what? What? Like <laughs> yeah. There's no way that she would wear like a suit to her. Like why would she wear a suit to her wedding? And like in no way, shape, or form. Like in a like the abs for one thing. Like she's got an amazing body. She's not gonna wear a suit to her wedding. And she loves fashion. Yes, I completely agree with you that, like, I actually think to make to get back to what I was talking about earlier, I think that they almost did that because the show, because the writers forgot that this was supposed to be about people who are unapologetically frivolous. And they felt the need to modernize Carrie as someone who, like, oh, she doesn't care about material things. And I'm like, but she does. She does care about material things. It's like I, yeah. I felt very much like that was like the times the, the the difference in the time between when the show came out and when the movie came out, people realized like, oh, we got to make this female character more not not likable, but more like moral in this way where she doesn't care about material things and she's only in it. I'm like, that's not true, though. Like, let her be who she was, which is like a very materialistic person. <laughs> yeah, the best analysis I heard about the end of the show was on some podcast where they said it, this was like it, it started out as a show about real people and their problems with dating in New York, and it ended as mega rich people who have no problems in New York. Yeah, and th therefore it became harder to sort of the stakes were so low. That um, and so far removed from Carrie, like literally a breakup, maybe making her homeless or like, you know, you know, the conception problems. And it was like, everybody's rich. Everyone's getting what they want. Um, who cares? Yeah, the movies weren't good. <laughs> the movies weren't good because they right. They almost had to. And you, you put your finger on why the like, right. This idea that like he almost calls off the marriage, which would be a, that would be a real problem. I would be sad for her. But he doesn't even really because then he would be too bad a guy and she couldn't end up with him. And so you're right. It's like this like weird forced fake problem that like rich people have, which is like she's mad at him for having doubts and that like lasts years. And you're like, I don't need to watch that. That's boring. Like if and they're going to end up together, then I don't need to watch her be like sad and rich for a while. And wasting her like Vera Wang freebie comp uh, dress or whatever it's going <laughs> to be. Exactly. So, uh, to, I mean, thank you for giving me all the time. Not to go so long, but I figured you'd cut me off if uh, if you had to. No, run. that was fine. I was like waiting for you to ask about. I, I didn't, as you may have noticed, have a lot of quotes. I was like, I told my sister before I did this podcast, because um, she's the one who I watched Sex in the City with. That, uh, it would just be 30 minutes of me saying, that's not even your style, which I say to her all the time. <laughs> when when <laughs> when Samantha wants the Birkin bag, and Carrie tells her it's not even her style. Um, 
So, so to close I got out, that in. I got that quote in. <laughs> no, there you go. I mean, so to close out, when people ask about the show now who have not seen it, when you're dealing with, you know, uh, younger folks coming up, yeah, how do you tee up for them what to expect from the show, the legacy of the show? And I'm not just talking about, I mean, we all know the problems, the lack of diversity, we, you know, the, the stereotypes, that kind of thing. But just how do you compartmentalize what the show meant then and how to watch it now through our current lens? The relationships are resident. So like, it's sort of like set everything else aside, like watch it, laugh at it. Like, it's totally fine if you find it ridiculous, if you find it problematic, if you find them annoying. But like, you will find yourself thinking about like the time that Carrie went to Big's apartment and and brought him the McDonald's. And then he was like, don't move to France for me. She was like, oh, shit. I mean, a lot. He means a lot more to me than I mean to him. Like, I think it's sort of like let the show wash over you and it's ridiculousness and then think about it in retrospect if that makes sense like right. it works better in retrospect perhaps because it is so dated and we are back in the sports world athletes coaches media they all do interesting things and then we the fans, the media, tell them, stop being interesting. You're being a locker room distraction. That is rubbish. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, I end every show by telling you what's been distracting me. And because Hannah Kaiser and I talked Sex in the City, I'm going to reach back into the vault. Because this is the distraction I have not had for a long time. But I will refer you to, uh, as it were... It's a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. And it's two guys. I, it, look, don't send me hate mail from across the world. I'm 99% sure they're from New Zealand, not Australia. But I, I could be wrong. These are two blokes, as it were, who decided to watch Grown Ups. Or maybe it was Grown Ups too. <laughs> I don't know. Grown Ups or Grown Ups 2, every single week for a year, and then do a podcast about the experience, which sounds insane, but man, utterly an unbelievable experience to have to sit down every week and know you have to watch this movie and then watch it. And they would do weird things like, this time we're going to sit together and watch it in silence. You can't, you can't say anything. You have to just like experience the movie. I mean, it was just really transcendent, weird stuff. Then they did a season with Sex in the City too, which you know, Han and I barely even talked about because, like, that movie is dog shit. Okay. And then they did, I think, grown up. I think the other grown ups they didn't do. They did We Are Your Friends, the the Zac Efron DJ movie. That movie's that movie's garbage. <laughs> oh my gosh, the ending of that movie is ridiculous. When he's like. I found out to connect with people because I turned lion roars and pennies rotating into true art. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with that stuff. And then they did the other Sex in the City, I believe. And I just want to refer to you to this podcast because I think that that exercise is ridiculous. Now, I have no idea if it's even on. I like quickly did a scan before I taped this. And I think they're still doing stuff, but it sounds like they've... I looked at their feed. It, it sounded like they, they, they shifted gears a little bit, probably trying to do something a little bit more sustainable. Good for them. Do whatever you got to do for your own mental health after the past couple of years. But I, I'll just relate this. And, and, and 
and I will say I have not heard all the shows. So if there's anything problematic on there or if it veers into weird spaces, I'm sorry. The, the stuff that I heard was was pretty positive and, and, and just pretty funny. But here's what I'll say. I have an affinity for that show. And I remember that show because I listened to it when we had our second daughter. And I was up all the time. Like she was colicky. I was up all night. This was the if you were if you're really a deep cut just not sports person, you remember me during that time talking with Adam and Gareth and Joe about man, I'm listening to like Hellraiser like uh not novella podcasts. Like I'm not even talking Hellraiser movies. Like these guys are breaking down like Clive Barker's fiction writing. Like you just get into dark places. You're just trying to survive the night or the day or whatever. It's like all it's a groundhog day every hour of like raising a a, a colicky baby. And so I just I, doing this conversation, I, I was I was just reminded of that time in my life and how much podcasts helped prop me up. People always ask, like, why do you keep doing this show? And I'm like, I like talking to people. I, I really think these people that I work with in the sports world like deserve an outlet for stuff that's not sports because everyone in the, in the bar grabs them. I believe all that. But also, I just like podcasts, and I was shocked how many like random podcasts that I I probably should have never heard about I gravitated toward because I had a kid who couldn't go to sleep, or I had uh, yard work that had to be done, or I had like a you know a long run I had to do training for a triathlon, and I just put something on and it it, it gave me a smile. So for the uh, worst idea of all time podcast, um, uh, gentlemen, I salute you for going through what you went through. Uh, truly, hum- humanity owes you a debt of gratitude. And that is our show for this week. Thank you to Hannah for coming on. I thought she was a lot of fun. It was fun revisiting the show. I haven't really watched it in a while, but it was, you know, surprised how easily I can just rattle off like boom, 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 like the funny moments of it. Uh, tune in next week. Chuck Klosterman's coming back. Yeah, that's right. Author extraordinaire Chuck Klosterman. He came on... Geez, I want to say a year ago with me and Gareth, we talked about Three Men Weave, his uh, famed Grantland story, which is also in his book 10. Broke down some Grateful Dead and some other stuff after that, which he, he remembered, I felt good about. But uh, you know, Chuck came on, it was a great conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun with that and debate whether he even counts as sports media. Like, should he, should he even have gotten invited to the show? I think you will enjoy that. All right, so find us on Twitter at Just On Sports, Instagram at Just On Sports, email Just On Sports at Gmail, and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, they booty. Right